I think there's a bit of a sense in which we're kind of trained to see everything in terms of a competition, in terms of a battle, right? We're always looking to see who's going to compete better, who's going to be the best. It's kind of just the way our American society has kind of formed us. So in terms of athletics, we're always looking, it's always a competition to see who's number one, who's going to win, who's going to lose. Even in things like academics, we're always striving to see who's going to be, get the, you know, the top of the class, who's going to have that certain GPA, kind of try to rank everybody. Even in things like movies, we're always looking for, it's always a good versus evil kind of battle, all these superhero movies, and um, we're just looking to see who's good versus evil, one guy versus the other guy, who's going to come out on top. I think we can kind of take that mentality and bring it into the parable that we heard in the gospel today. We got the Pharisee versus a tax collector. Good guy versus a bad guy. Who's the guy we're supposed to imitate? Who's the guy we're not supposed to imitate? And we've kind of been trained to think that, well, of course, the Pharisee's the bad guy, the tax collector's the good guy. We're going to try to be like the tax collector, not be like the Pharisee, and kind of it's game over. But to the people who Jesus was talking to, it wasn't quite that simple. It's actually, in fact, quite the opposite. The people who he was talking to would have pretty much seen it the exact opposite way. So the Pharisees were respected people. They were the men of the church. They were the people who taught the law. They were scholars of the law. They were faithful to the temple worship. They were respected. And this guy we heard in the gospel, he's fast regularly. He doesn't struggle with greed or lust or dishonesty. He tithes. He's better, he seems to be more faithful than most of us here, myself included, at living up to what the, what the Lord through, the, through the, their faith was calling him to do. Tax collectors were pretty much the lowest of the low. They were the sellouts of, of the Jewish people to the Roman Empire who was, who was occupying them because they would collect the taxes from the Jewish people and give it to the empire. And not only that, they would collect more than they were supposed to get so they can kind of make a little bit of a nice living themselves. So the whole profession was scamming the people who they were, who they were a part of to give to, these other, to this other nation. So obviously they were hated. They were like the bottom of the barrel when it comes to Jewish society. So when Jesus would have told this parable, the people would have thought, well, obviously the Pharisee is the good guy, the tax collector is the bad guy. The Pharisee is this guy, the man of God, the tax collector is the scammer. And so the way that Jesus kind of positions this parable, doesn't make, it kind of turns everything on its head. Who's the good guy, who's the bad guy? And I think what he's getting that, though, is to try to break us out of that kind of mentality of comparison. I don't think he really cares about who's good, who's bad, and who, what, what, what's, that, what's that conflict kind of look like. I think he's trying to bring us to a, a bit of a deeper question. How do each one of these people perceive God? How do they see God in the reality of their own lives? What kind of God are they speaking to? At some point, now, or in the very near future for a lot of us, um, graduation's coming. The next step. Right? And so what's important now is we've got to make sure we have the good resume. We've got to do all the things we need to do to have the good resume so that when I go to the next step, whether that's getting a job, grad school, med school, PA school, PT, whatever that is, I need to have all the things on the resume so that I can measure up, right? So that's, maybe that's why I joined a sorority fraternity. Maybe that's why I'm going to join all these honor societies. I'm going to do the volunteer work. I'm going to get the work experience, get all the things that I need to do to bolster up to get that good resume, right? Because if I don't have the good resume, I'm not going to get the job or I'm not going to get into the school. But I can, if I can just have a good enough resume 
then I can be good enough to get in, to kind of make the mark, so that I can be happy, I can be successful, I can be satisfied, I can be whatever that thing is. If I can just make that mark, right, I have to get, kind of bolster up this resume to prove myself. I think that's what the Pharisee is doing to God in his own prayers, right? He's kind of presenting God with his resume. Hey God, this is, here, look at all these things that I'm doing. I do all these good things for you. And because of that, therefore, then you can love me. Because I'm doing all these good things, I'm giving you what you want, then you can give me what I want. Right? The whole problem with that, though, there's two big problems with that, really. Number one, it's very much focused on, on ourselves. Right? I need to do all these good things. I need to measure up. I need to do all these things. I can make this mark so that I can be good enough. It's very self-focused. And when we're self-focused... We're very unaware of all the other things that are not ourself, right? But I think second and kind of more fundamental, what kind of God is this Pharisee talking to? This God where I have to do all these things, I have to fulfill all these things just to kind of please him or to placate him. Almost like you were bribing him, like, God, I'm going to give you this and then you're going to give me that, right? It's kind of almost like he's seeing God like a tax collector. That's exactly what the tax collectors did. They were looking for these bribes, and when they got what they wanted, then they would give the people what they wanted. This Pharisee almost sees God in that kind of way. God, if I give you what you want, maybe if I give you a little more than what you're asking for, then you're going to give me what I want, and maybe even a little bit more. This kind of tit-for-tat kind of thing. Seeing God as this tax collector, he's, looking, he's really just looking for a bribe more than anything. Is that how I see God? Is that what motivates my coming to Mass, my coming to prayer, my doing all these good things? So that I can measure up, give God what He wants, so that then I can get what I want. To kind of bolster up my own resume. But where does that leave us? Where does that leave this, people like this Pharisee? We're constantly worried, constantly anxious, constantly afraid that what if I don't measure up? What if I don't make the mark? What if I don't do what God wants? In that kind of system, if I don't do what he wants, then he's not going to do what I want. If I don't make the mark, then he doesn't, he doesn't follow through on his end either, right? How do we see God as this tax collector kind of bribe or as a provident father who loves us and who gives us exactly what we want not what we want, what we need, when we need it, for no other reason than the fact that of, of his unchangeable and unimaginable love that he has for each and every one of us. See, the tax collector, when he comes before God, he comes before God with absolutely nothing. He doesn't have any kind of resume to put before the Lord, like, God, look at all these things that I'm doing. His whole profession is based on lying and scamming and extorting other people. He literally has absolutely nothing that he can put before the Lord. He comes before God with empty hands, and all he can say is, Lord, just be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. I have nothing to prove myself. Despite that, he still comes. Because he knows that he can never be enough. He can never prove himself. He can never meet that mark and meet those expectations. And he still comes before the Lord with these empty hands 
and God still welcomes him. Jesus said, that's the man who went home justified because he came before the Lord in complete abandonment with nothing. And not to use that as an excuse for, for the realities of our own sin, the, the tax collector can't just come again begging for mercy again and again and again with no real intent for conversion, with no real striving for true holiness. But that conversion and that striving, isn't, it's not a bribe. What it is, it's, it's a response. See, God calls us first. God loves us first. And everything we do isn't a bribe to get what we want, but it's a response to the gift that the Lord has already given to us for no reason. Everything we do is a response to what God has done. And it's only by being broken down to our complete and just an utter nothingness, by having our resume, so to speak, taken from us, ripped out of our hands and torn to shreds right in front of us, that we can come before the Lord with these empty hands, with nothing, and actually then rely solely on, and completely, not on ourselves, but on that gift. Seeing God not as this tax collector who we need a bribe, but as this Father that we come before with, with nothing. And it's a scary thing to come before God with absolutely nothing. We've, we, need, we feel like we need to have these things. We need to, we need to prove ourselves in some way. It's scary to come before God in our brokenness, and in our nothingness. I want to close with a story, a true story, um, of a priest named Father Walter Chiswick. He wrote a book that's called He Leadeth Me. If I had to live, list my top five books that I've ever read, He Leadeth Me is in that, that top five. He's a Polish-American priest, um, and he lived at a time when Soviet Union was, was in control of Russia, and they were, they were exterminating the faith. And the Pope called for missionaries to go into the Soviet Union, into Russia, to, to preach the faith, to kind of save the faith from being exterminated. And Father Walter Chiswick, he was a Jesuit, and he, he said, I'm going to answer that call. I'm going to go, I'm going to go into Russia, and I'm going to convert this whole nation. And so him and, and his Jesuit brothers went, and they tried to get through the border. They got as far as Poland. And they got to Poland, they couldn't cross the border into the Soviet Union. Then the Soviet Union decided to invade Poland. So then, therefore, he was in the Soviet Union because they invaded Poland. And so he said, all right, great. So I'm going to start this missionary. I'm going to start preaching the gospel to these people. After just two weeks, he was arrested. He was accused of being a Vatican spy. He was put in solitary confinement for a year. And for that year, every single day, he was put through intense torture and intense interrogation to try to get any kind of information out of him try to get him to disavow God, to disavow the church, his country, to try to, to agree to cooperate with the Soviets, to try to infiltrate the Vatican, to get information. And for a while he persisted. He persevered in that. But eventually, it just got to be too great. He broke down. They had all these papers before him, and he, he didn't even read the papers. He just signed them. Signed paper after paper after paper. He rejected God, rejected his faith, rejected the church, agreed to cooperate, agreed to do everything they asked him to do. And he said, I just signed him as fast as I could. I just wanted to get out of that. He wanted to run out of that room, he said. He just signed every paper. Then he finished. They brought him back to his cell. And he says he just sat down completely broken, ashamed. 
felt like a total failure. Here was this guy who he went to, he went to Russia. He was, I'm going to go convert this nation. But yet I can't even defend the faith for myself. Complete and utter nothingness. And eventually began to pray to God. He was, just in his prayer, he, he recognized this anger. He was angry at himself. Like, why did I do this? Why did I, why did I give? Why did I fail? Why couldn't I stand strong? He was angry at God. God, why didn't you give me the grace that I needed to sustain me? Why didn't you help me to overcome this trial? Why didn't you give me the grace that I needed to persevere? Why, where were you in that? And as he sat with that, he eventually came to this recognition that through all of his, all of his desires for this whole mission, he ultimately, when it came down to it, was relying on himself. He asked God for help, sure, but when, when it came down to it, he trusted in his own abilities. He thought he knew he could do it. He had already set the terms of what the outcome had to be. And that, and this is how God, God, this is how you're going to help me to achieve this outcome. And obviously, I, God knows what I want, and God's going to want what I want too, so that's, this is how it's going to work. And that God allowed this to happen to break him of that to break him down to the state of, of emptiness, of nothingness, so that finally, for the first time, he could truly abandon himself to what the Lord desired of him. In that state of, of complete nothingness, of, with, with these empty hands, he says. He writes that just as surely as man begins to trust in his own abilities, so surely has he taken the first step on the road to ultimate failure. And the greatest grace that God can give to such a man is to send him a trial he cannot bear with his own powers and then sustain him with his grace so that he may endure to the end and be saved. When we're broken down to, to, to nothing, we've given everything and it doesn't measure up, all we can do is come before the Lord like the tax collector did, with these empty hands, and trust that God, and he will, he gives us the grace to sustain us at that moment. And it's only by being in that state of the tax collector that we can truly learn to abandon ourselves to the Lord. That although everything seems like it's going wrong, nothing seems like it's right, that's the spot where the Lord wants us to be. So that we can truly rely on him, so that we can come to him with empty hands, with nothing, and he can give us everything. He does that in a real way, in this Mass, in the Eucharist, where he gives us the gift of himself. He, we come up with nothing, and he gives us everything. And beyond that, every single day, we pray today for that grace of the courage to come before God with nothing, to trust that he truly can and will give us everything.